This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 256 with RB Fast. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes for our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 256. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Quick, super exciting announcement before we get started today. I'm bringing back the Shameless Mom Momentum Mamas. So I've done these groups before for limited time offerings and coming back by popular, popular demand. I am going to be shortly kicking off the Shameless Mom Momentum Mamas as an ongoing program, an ongoing community for our listeners to be in, to receive group coaching, to build momentum in any area of your life. This has been an extremely successful program when I've run it in the past. Women and moms have made life-changing improvements in very short amounts of time, and it's been amazing to watch. So I cannot wait to do it again. So if you are looking to create a stronger sense of self-identity or cultivate confidence and courage in your life, maybe you want to pursue new passions or figure out what the heck you're even passionate about. Maybe you want to implement healthier habits and routines or build better boundaries and relationships. Maybe you want to adopt an abundance mindset to 
be more in touch with your ability to have abundance around time, money, and energy, or maybe you just want to make some new shameless mama friends, this will be the place for you. In the Shameless Mom Momentum Mastermind, you are going to get weekly group coaching with me. You're going to get cheat sheets, templates, and toolkits that are going to support you every single week in working toward your goals. You're going to get access to a private Facebook group. We will have a monthly book club. I'm so excited about this. We will have a monthly happy hour. Yes, please. And best of all, this is all virtual. We will meet via Zoom video conferencing. So We'll all get to see each other on video and interact and engage and build community and learn from each other, get group coaching, make new friendships. It's going to be amazing. I will also be bringing in some special guest experts just for our Shameless Mom Momentum Mamas. So if you are interested, get on the wait list. You can go to shamelessmom.com forward slash wait list to get on the wait list. And I will have more information coming out in the next week or so so that you can join us and get started in the Shameless Mom Momentum Mamas. R.B. Fast is a leadership coach for schools and nonprofits based in Denver, Colorado. She travels the globe facilitating workshops and retreats focused on team building strategy and leadership growth. From large conferences to private boardrooms, R.B. shows up as a partner and a guide for every client. When she isn't helping organizations realize their big vision, she's probably in her garden or her kitchen preparing delicious food for the people she loves, including her husband, her daughter Mia, or her snuggly fur babies, Mo and Dexter. Arby started her journey into motherhood as a full-time student and bartender who could only afford to take off nine days of maternity leave. The journey inspired her to take conscientious action to create a more powerful life. And today she is very thoughtful and intentional in how she weaves social justice and advocacy into her parenting and professional work with her nonprofits. And I will tell you in researching for the show, I was so touched by her own mission and inclusivity statement for her company that I wanted to share it with all of you. So here's what she says. She says, Beeline Consulting is an inclusive company for all people. I want to be clear about what I believe in so that you can decide if you really want to be a part of my community. I believe that education is a right to not a privilege, that schools should be safe, accommodating and welcoming for all people, regardless of gender, ethnicity, religion, ability, size or age. Gender is a spectrum and binary gender norms are dangerous. There is no one right religion or spiritual practice. White privilege is very real and white people have a responsibility to actively dismantle it and confront our own blindness to it. Structural racism and structural classism are prevalent in our education system and must be dismantled. Sexual assault, sexual harassment, sexual abuse, and misogyny are prevalent, problematic, and in need of being addressed directly through policy. No child should ever be homeless or hungry, period. Climate change is real and environmental advocacy is imperative. We have a responsibility to actively engage in civics and advocate for people who live in the margins of society and healthcare is a human right. So I wanted to share that before diving into this episode with RB because you know I love a good manifesto or mission statement and I think it's so important that we know what we stand for and that we are confident and clear in how we share that with others. And I think this is a beautiful example and I could not be more excited to have RB coming on the show. So listen in to hear Arby share the value of creating your own beautiful space, her nine-day maternity leave and the postpartum depression that followed, what life was like working as a bartender until 3.30 in the morning and being a full-time student with a newborn baby, how she started a business by making a list of her skills and posting it to Facebook, survival versus perfectionism, and why survival mode is way more productive and perfectionism might be a luxury you cannot afford. 
the importance of learning and listening to others' stories, experiences, perspectives, and the advocacy path of learning, questioning, and taking action. So with all that said, let's dive in with RB Fast. RB Fast, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here today. I'm so excited to be here, Sarah. Thank you for having me. This is going to be fun. So Megan Flat was on an episode probably two months ago, and she has been a great resource for recommending other amazing guests, and she recommended you. So I'm excited to have you. I feel like Megan knows all the best of the best. Megan does know the best of the best. For those of you who are listening that haven't listened to that episode or don't know who Megan Flat is, go find her. She is a uh, key to my professional success. So oh, I go that. find her. She's amazing. Yes. I will make sure to link that episode in the show notes for our listeners as well. And to refresh memories, Megan Flat is the mama who came on and talked about the mama advantage, which I loved. And she's also like the person that I was able to geek out for the longest time with over post-it notes. <laughs> I yes. was like, we could have done a whole episode just on like the beauty of the post-it note. <laughs> Really, you should see my office. There are literally four separate layouts of post-it oh my notes gosh. in my office on the walls right now right. because now of I Megan. Now I know why Megan so highly recommended you. Yeah. <laughs> You're in the post-it note cult. I am. I am. I'm officially converted. I love it. I love it. Okay. So tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life right now beyond your bio and what are you most excited about? Oh, I'm so excited right now because... I've been laying the groundwork for my business for four years now. Next month, August, we're recording in July. And in August, it will be four years since I started my business. And I am so thrilled about what's happening. I've been traveling all over the world. I went to Vietnam a few months ago. I went to Poland last year. I've been all over the U.S., working with teams of educators and nonprofit boards and helping them figure out how to do their best work and really get their work aligned with their vision. And it's been so much fun. And I really love traveling. I, I love all of it. I love hotels. I love the whole thing. And when I'm not traveling, I'm at home and I have a gorgeous office that I converted a bedroom in our house to my dream office because I decided I deserve to work in my dream space every day. So I made yes. it for myself. Yes, yes. I decided to not compromise and cheap out and, you know, make do. I picked a color scheme and fabrics and, you know, and my husband's a professional woodworker. So also I got to design oh my the desk of my dreams and have it built. So that's also fabulous. Find him on Instagram at fast.industries. He's incredible. We'll link that up for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I get to just be home with my cat and my dog and whatever my daughter has going on at school, I can be there for that and I can start dinner in the middle of the day and it's so slow and so easy and so quiet that then when I'm ready to go out in the world, I feel ready for it because I've had so much space to decompress and just be in the space that I've created at home. I love that. So two things I want to touch on. I also love to travel and I love being in hotels. And I think I did one plane trip and hotel trip ever growing up. And it's when I went to Disneyland and when I was like 11 or 12. And other than that, we never did planes and hotels. And so that still feels fancy to me, even though I do it fairly regularly. And so I totally love that. And we actually went to Vietnam for our honeymoon and it's an amazing, gorgeous country. Oh, it so is. Oh, it's so cool. 
Yes. And same here. My dad was a race car driver growing oh. up. And so we traveled a lot, but it was in a van with my four siblings with oh a race gosh. car in a trailer behind us. Oh my gosh. And we mostly stayed at campgrounds because my dad didn't want to be more than 10 feet from his race car at any time. Wow. So I also, I'm like, Motel 6 is almost fancy to me still right. because, you know, it's like totally. we're sleeping inside tonight, Dad. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I went to Las Vegas for a conference, it was my first time to Las Vegas ever. And like, I remember I got there on a Saturday and on Saturday night in Las Vegas, I stayed in my hotel room and ordered room service. And I remember the guy coming to deliver room service at like eight o'clock at night. And he's like, what are you doing tonight? And I was already in my pajamas. I was like, I'm doing this. I mean, this is like a gorgeous <laughs> hotel room and I'm getting room service. <laughs> Like, who needs Las Vegas when you have yeah. this? This is the event right, right here. Totally, totally. And then the other thing I wanted to touch on, I love the way you talked about creating your own beautiful space at home. And I want to just kind of extend that a little further. I love that you did that for your workspace. But I also think that that's such an important thing to do, regardless of whether or not you work from home, for moms and women to have spaces at home that they create just to feel really good in. And I know... That has become so important to me because I tried to have home offices that were kind of makeshifty many times. I probably four or five times did this where I was like, oh, I'll just use like this corner over here or I'll just make this work or use the dining room table. And it, my husband like started giving me a really hard time about it because I kept trying to like kind of dig out these little corners and niches in the house. And finally, when we went to do our basement remodel, He's like, we're only going to build you an office if you'll really use it. And I was like, no, I think I'll really use it this time. But it took me really investing some time, energy, and a little bit of money to make it a place that I really love to be. And now I really love to be here. And it like very much feels like my own little cocoon. Yes, yes. And I ran my company from one half of my dining room table for two and a half years. And it was a nightmare. And it invaded our family space. Yes. And this is something a lot of people don't know about me, but I actually also have a degree in interior design. And so oh. the physical spaces around me are very much I value them. And I value the importance of making a space where people feel safe and comfortable and cared for and where everything in it matters. And so when my printer is on the coffee table and <laughs> on my filing system is reusable grocery bags hung on hooks and in closets throughout the house, each reusable bag with oh a different gosh. category, it was not living my values at all. Right, and it right. was not being supportive of my family when they're supporting me while I go on this adventure. And so, yeah, building this office became... It almost felt like an emergency. By year two, I was like, we got to start making plans. We got to build a new master suite in the basement. We got to move the kid to our old room. We got to take over the kid's bedroom and make it right. my office. And we have to go now. Right, right. And sometimes it really, it can be like a reshuffling. It doesn't always have to be like a major like remodel investment, but just a reconfiguration, a redesign, reorganization, I think can make a huge difference. And sometimes I think we put those things off thinking like, oh, it's going to be a hassle. But the payoff and the benefits can be really, really, really powerful. It was so worth it. And I had an upper limits moment around the whole thing when my office was actually done. And I came in and I sat on the gorgeous paisley ottoman that was the inspiration for the room and just sat and looked around the room. I started sobbing and feeling like maybe I don't deserve this. And maybe all of a sudden, now that I made this investment in myself, my business was going to collapse in on itself and I was going to fail. And I was just, oh my gosh. you know, like I had this huge 
thing about it. And it was like, wow, wow, you're carrying all sorts of baggage that has nothing to do with your pretty aquamarine office. (laughs) And then so it showed me I had work to do and needed to figure out what needed unpacking that had nothing to do with this actual room itself. Right. And I think that's common. I think that's actually a reason that a lot of women and moms don't pursue things or don't create these kinds of spaces, whether we're talking figurative or literal spaces, because of the fear of like, what if I build it and it doesn't work out or it doesn't go how I thought, or it's not successful. Or then not only have I like failed for myself, but I've also failed in front of my family who's seen me create this space or create this thing or whatever. Maybe you've failed in front of other people. So sometimes it's easier to stay in the place that's like a little makeshifty because if you don't succeed in that spot, it's not quite as obvious. Like you haven't built something to frame your success within. Exactly. You know, all the people that come, we host people at our house a lot and they always want to look around and we've been for 12 years, we've been slowly remodeling every inch of this house. So when people come over, they walk through the whole thing to see what's different. And so it would be a very public failure because literally everyone I know has, my office is right next to the bathroom everyone uses. And so everyone is aware of what happened and that (laughs) that I grew into this space. And yeah, yeah, it felt, it was like when I launched my website, I didn't want to tell anyone. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, no one's going to hire you if you don't tell them, <laughs> right? you know, so just get over yourself. Right, and, right. Yeah. Oh, I've talked to people about that before. I've had clients who launch blogs and then they're like, well, I mean, it's, I launched it, but I don't want to tell anyone. I'm like, yeah, but is it the purpose of having a blog? <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> like, no, like, it's really good. I think I did a really good job, but I don't want to show anyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally common. Okay. So I want you to tell us about your entrance into motherhood, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Ooh, girl. So (laughs) it was a beautiful and chaotic entry into motherhood for me for a combination of reasons. But a big one is just that America has terrible health care and maternity leave policy. And I was one of the millions of women who get caught up in that. So I was married when I was 24 and I got pregnant when I was 25. We were we were planning on being married for a very long time before we had children, but we got pregnant nine months into being married. So that plan went out the window. And at the time, I was working full time at a bar and going to school full time, getting my interior design degree. And this was before the smoking ban went into effect in Denver oh and I worked at this wonderful, this glorious dive bar in Denver's Capitol Hill neighborhood called Barracudas that's still there and still wonderful, but it was a chain smokers bar and the air filtration system was like broken and, you know, it was the kind of place where things took a very long time to get fixed. And so I found out I was pregnant. I thought I was just sick from having been traveling in Egypt, but then I kept being sick long after we got home and realized that there was more going on and it turned out I was pregnant and I couldn't work at this bar anymore. I knew instantly that there was no way. And so I had been a teacher previously and I reached out to the school where I used to teach and just said, hey, can I maybe be a substitute teacher or something like I needed to get into a healthier environment physically to carry this child. And they said, actually, one of our lead teachers just went to Mexico to adopt a baby. And now the government won't let her come home with the baby. And she's saying she's not leaving Mexico until her adoption goes through. Oh my gosh. So will you come be, come be the lead teacher of this classroom, please? Actually, you have the qualifications and we need you. And so it worked out perfect. And so 
I went and spent my whole pregnancy going to college full time, mind you, and having to like they had to patch you like the, the head of school had to come in and like work in my classroom for two hours every Thursday while I went to class. And, you know, like things like that. It was definitely not an ideal situation oh for anyone, but it was also an ideal situation for all of us. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listener can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. And then I had the baby and they had to move on. You know, the teacher came back and I was in school and I had no insurance because I was a substitute teacher. And before that, I'd worked at this bar. And well, I had my husband's health insurance, but I didn't have any 
paid time off or any coverage for income. And we were in our early 20s and just didn't have a lot. And I had to go back to school. She was born in November and the semester didn't end until December. So she was nine days old the first time I left her with my mother-in-law and went to school. I had to give a presentation and I sobbed through the entire thing. And the professor kindly sent me home immediately. And I'm like tearing up thinking about it It was so awful. And I really have very few memories of the first three months of her life because my depression was such a blackout, deep depression that I have. I have very few memories. One of my firm memories is that I sobbed when I breastfed because my nipples never stopped bleeding and I never got good support on breastfeeding and she wouldn't even take my breast after three months old. And there was all the guilt with that, you know, and I had to go back to working at the bar 30 days after she was born because we need money. So one way you look at it, I had a nine day maternity leave or I had a 30 day maternity leave. Neither one of those is even remotely acceptable. Right. And it shouldn't have been that way. My family should have been able to circle around and focus on ourselves for a little bit while we nurtured this new human into the world and nurtured myself. And I didn't even realize I knew I wasn't okay because there were nights when I had to wake my husband to take the baby so she would be okay because I didn't trust myself because my depression was dark enough. And I didn't know how bad it was, though, until she was about two and a half or three years old and I had fully come out of it and I could look back and say, oh, I was not okay. Yeah, I was not okay. And thank goodness I had my husband and my mother-in-law and my family. And, you know, I mean, we have this wonderful community of people who surround our family and lift us up. And I know those are the things that got, got me through, but it was just rough. That sounds really traumatic. And I think that that's not an uncommon experience that moms realize that things were really dark way after the fact. I think yeah. when you're in it, you are in such survival mode. And also because so many of us, I think just are like, no, like I'll figure it out. I'll make it work. Like this is like what I'm biologically inclined to do that we just, even if it's really, really bad, we don't recognize it as such until we're out of it and we look back. And like, I always thought that I had like bad days in that first year after my son was born. But when I look back at it and when I really, I had so many struggles related to nursing. When I look back at it, I'm like, no, like that whole first year, especially the first six months were pretty awful because of my nursing experience. And that in hindsight could have been different if I had just said like, I'm not doing this. (laughs) And if I hadn't been like so determined to keep trying and just like stay with this awful frustrated situation that wasn't working for me. And yeah. And so being in it versus being out of it and looking back in hindsight, I think are really, really different things. So tell us a little bit about what's your husband's take on that time versus how did he see you during that time versus how you saw yourself? So that is an interesting question. And the answer is we barely saw each other. So for the first two and a half years of my daughter's life, for the first year, I was in school full time and working full time. I graduated with my interior design degree when she was 13 months old. So that first year I was in my last year of school and and then working full time. So 
I would go to class during the day and also sometimes at night. Um, when I went to class during the day, my husband's mother came and cared for my daughter here at the house. And at night, it was him, whether I was at class or working at the bar till 3, 3.30 in the morning. Oh and he worked a job where he had to be there at 5 a.m. So we would spend about an hour and a half in bed together in the middle of the night. And on some days of the week, he came home to his mom. And on other days of the week, he came to home to me. I passed him the baby and left. And I had every other Sunday off. And that was the amount of time we had together as a family for the first, that was the first year was that. And then as soon as I graduated college and took a higher paying job, he took a second job since there was now the flexibility, quote unquote, for him to do that. And he started working nights at Whole Foods stocking shelves. So he was working about 70 hours a week for the next year and a half after that. Oh my gosh. So you weren't in a position to like have discussions about how you were feeling or how he was perceiving you were feeling. Nope. You nope. were just <laughs> ships passing in the night and probably yeah. both of you barely surviving. Yes. Yes. It was not a great time. We were too tired to really fight, but yeah. it was not an awesome time. It was just, it was an absolute survival situation. Right. And so I know his perspective on being with her though, and this is the light here and the good I mean, then there's so much good because in this we're raising this child. We have yeah. this beautiful home that we bought when we were pregnant with her and that we are still living in. And it's, you know, and we we got a puppy and we had, you know, like much good also mm -hmm. mixed into all of this. But the really beautiful thing was that they bonded, you know, when yeah. she was awake at 2 a.m. screaming, he's who was the adult at home. Yeah. He did almost all of the get up in the middle of the night, comfort the baby who can't be comforted work. Yeah. You know, and he would tell me, which I hated hearing, but he would tell me, you know, tonight I could tell all she wanted was you. Oh. You're like, ah, you know, yeah. but he also I'm like, why is she so blotchy? What's wrong? You know, and he's like, I'm not you. She was blotchy from crying. Yeah. Oh, poor baby. Yeah. But their bond is beautiful. Yes. And, and that was beautiful from the start. And he's not a dad interrupted by a mom who knows too much. You know, yeah. he didn't yeah. go through dad interrupted syndrome because, I mean, he was the one who was there and yeah. he didn't do things always the way I would do things and still doesn't. <laughs> and I had to let that go. I just had to let that go. And, you know, trying to hypermanage the way so many moms do with their partners, that just wasn't an option for right. us. I just had to trust him and he figured it out and went his own way and did his own thing and is a fabulous dad. I love that. I think it's so great that you recognize there was beautiful things that came out of, you know, probably the most difficult time of your life. Sure. And I think that's so important. And I, we talk, talk so much about this on the podcast about rewriting your stories or writing the endings to your stories. And I think that's huge that you could look back and identify this as like the worst time in your life and just, you know, really, really overwhelming and complicated and ugly and whatever. But instead you're like, here's how it was challenging and here's how it was beautiful. And I think that's so much more powerful and allows your family to be in a different position than if you were like, you know, here's what it was like during this really ugly time versus saying that identifying that there was like challenges, but there was also beauty. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, there always is. Yes. Yes. So can you talk about how motherhood impacted your professional path? You've kind of shared where you were at during that time and how did it evolve from there? 
Sure. So like I said, I'd started my career in education. I'd been a teacher and I loved education. I really just had this curiosity I needed to scratch, which is why I went back to school and studied interior design. I just I wanted to know more about spaces and and how they're used and the concepts of design and all of that stuff. And so and then I went and I was an interior designer for six months in early 2007, uh, right as the economy started to unravel, particularly the real estate economy, which, yeah, like new interior designers fresh out of college were not in high demand at the time. And I ended up working for this shystery, gross man. And I really hated and I had a really long commute that I also hated. And that wasn't really working for me. And so I went back to the school again. I, my husband actually built some furniture for the school and when he was delivering it, the head of school was like, hey, what's our B up to? We need someone to be the program coordinator for our after school program for these 85 kids. And he oh called me up and I was like, sold. Where do I sign? <laughs> what? I don't know how much they're paying me. I don't care. Because it also came with a 50% discount to enroll my daughter oh, at yeah. this amazing Montessori school that I loved with teacher who had been my trusted friend and colleague for years. And so it just was like, yes. And that was it. That's how she impacted my professional path. I was like, yes, we go to school and work together every day and come home together every day. And, you know, and she's with people I trust and, you know, and I can do this thing. And I was like, after school program, fun, low responsibility. I'll just, you know, I'll make this fun environment and a cool schedule and it'll be great. And it was. But then the school started falling apart. The administration and the board started having a war with each other. And there were emails flying back and forth where all the staff and parents were CC'd. And oh my gosh, this, <laughs> that's it was high drama, unprofessional, yes, and crazy and very stressful for everyone in the community. I mean, all the people who worked there were like, "What is going on?" And you know, and there was an entire turnover. The whole administrative office quit, and you know, it was all these families disenrolled, and you know, we were, the school was losing money, and so. I decided to, uh, people kept stopping by my classroom and saying, hey, are you going to apply to go into administration or are you going to fix this or what? And I was like, what, me? I'm the after school program coordinator. I know I'm always telling everyone what to do, but I'm the after school program coordinator, guys. And I decided to anyway. And so I became the associate director. It was a nonprofit organization. So I became the associate director and I really operated like a head of school for the classrooms, like curriculum and teacher support and parent support and, you know, figuring out what's going on with the student who's perplexing people for whatever reason, you know, we did that type of work. And I was so invested in it because it was my kid's school. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was my kid's school. It was like every parent here feels this way about their person that's here. Right. So I've got to make this a place where everyone, you know, feels safe and confident and respected and, you know, like their child is super okay. And it influenced everything. That is so cool. And what a far cry from tending bar till bar close. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. And so continue, because I want to know how you got from there to where you're at today and working with nonprofits. Sure. So I was in that role for 
five plus years, close to five and a half years. And in that time, you know, I mean, it was obviously the school was not in a very good place when we took it over, both financially and culturally, and, and even operationally. The facility was a historic building that was falling into disrepair. And, you know, I mean, there was so much going on. And we did a fine job in turning things around there. We really, you know, by every measure, we turned that place around beautifully. And I learned so much. Oh, I was so young and brash. And <laughs> I was humbled time and again, as I needed to be, and I continue to be. But that job really, I just, I learned so much, but I was so lonely. Everything was confidential. And you've got to be the brave face when you're the leader. And, you know, you get to be a human, but you got to be careful about how much of that you really put out in front of your employees because they really need to believe everything's okay, even when you feel like it's not, you know. And there were things going on where I was like, what do I even do in this situation? But I literally can talk to no one about it because it's so confidential. And so I closed my office door and cried a lot oh. and a lot and, you know, and then got strong and shook my shoulders and went out and figured it out, you know, but man, it felt so hard. And I just wanted someone to call. And that kept resonating with me over and over again. And when I decided, you know, the school got to a place where I knew I was going to get bored. It was running too well. It was too easy. Mm. My last really big project, which was helping to figure out the remodel of the 30,000 square foot second floor of the building that had gone unused for a dozen years. And that was rolling and almost done. And I was ready. So I decided to become the person to call because I wanted someone to call so badly so many times. And it started there. I just wanted to be the person school leaders could call and talk to about the things they couldn't talk to about with anyone else and commiserate, brainstorm, you know, work out their worst ideas without putting them in front of their board president, you know, so they could get to their best ideas to bring to their board president instead. And, you know, just to be safe and to know they had confidentiality with me, a signed contract where, you know, they knew I wasn't going to broadcast this thing about their school anywhere else, anytime. And lo and behold, people started calling me up as soon as I announced I was available for that. And it was a thing that was needed. So was this a consulting kind of a, yeah. like a consultancy that you established? Yes. Okay. So basically, I mean, and when I started, I really, I was like, well, I guess I just need to do this thing. So I made a web page with a bullet pointed list of like 40 things I knew a lot about and could help people with. Interesting. <laughs> and, then I, and then I posted it on Facebook. Oh my gosh, um, that's amazing. And I was just like, hey, guys, would you hire me to do any of this? How much would you pay me? Would you actually hire me to do that for you right now, please? Thank you. Tell your friends. And two days later, I got a message from this wonderful mentor of mine. And she said, I want you to come to breakfast with me tomorrow. I have a really interesting meeting. And I went to breakfast with her. And that meeting turned into my first client, who was 50% of my business's income for the first year. So that's amazing. And I want to go back for just a minute before we move forward. I want to just address that 
the power of not letting obstacles get in your way and especially of not creating noble obstacles. And there's this concept of noble obstacles that John Acuff talks about in his book called Finish, where he says that we often don't finish things because we let noble obstacles get in the way. And so in your case, a noble obstacle could have been, well, I want to be a consultant for schools, but I need to like build a website and I need to like get these credentials and blah, blah, blah. And like all these things that could take like five years. Instead, you made a bullet list of 40 things that you're good at and you posted it on Facebook and it was just done. Like that was your business. That is so brilliant and so powerful because that's pretty much the opposite of what everyone does. (laughs) Like we get in our own way and create these obstacles so that it takes us much longer to like build the path, follow the path, (laughs) um, open the door to ask for people for what we really want. And I love that you were just like, I'm going to make a list and I'm going to put it out there. And you got business from it, like right away from a Facebook post. I did. And I figured out what things on the list people were calling me about. And then I built a website around that. Perfect. This is so good. This is like such a great lesson for, especially for moms who were just not knowing where to get started or thinking that there needs to be like these big, major, cumbersome events before you can take off. Yeah. That being said, my first phone call with Megan Platt, she's like, so let's talk about your website. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was that bullet push. She's like, this may be something someone could click on or (laughs) an image or something. (laughs) Is your website just a Word doc? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it basically, it was like dark gray on light gray bullet pointed list with my logo on top. No joke. But also (laughs) that made you money. Like it doesn't have to be the $10,000 website. And that's where we get so caught up and people, I mean, I've had heard so many people have this conversation with like, well, first I have to have a logo design and that's going to be $5,000. And I need to, you know, decide my color scheme and my brand package and whatever. Like you don't need any of that. You can do all that, but it just gets in the way and slows you down. Yeah. I just figured I went to some like logogarden.com or something and made a logo in 10 minutes and figured someday I'll hire someone to make a better logo. Yes, yes. And, and it actually turned out pretty good. And so the designer I eventually hired just modified the thing I'd already designed. But yeah, I was not attached to perfection. And I think part of that is survival because mm. I had to pay my mortgage. I had to like, we didn't have this big fat cushion that we were sitting on where then you know, I could start this business and still draw a paycheck. Like the only way I was drawing a paycheck is if I was bringing in money. And so I really had to cut the fluff and get to what was going to make me money. I love that connection, being in survival mode versus being a perfectionist. And like being a perfectionist is a luxury that many of us can't afford. And I totally agree that in business, I have had to let go. I'm very type A. And in my 16 years as an entrepreneur, I've had to let go of that perfectionism because like you said, like the bills have to get paid. And also you start to feel some momentum behind like, great, I can do like, you know, 80% my best and still get good enough results that I can do all these other things. Like if I'm doing 80% and I'm getting more things out there and more people are attracted to me and I'm able to build something and that allows me to make enough money to go on vacation, like we're good. That's versus like being stuck trying to perfect things and never getting the amount into the world and never getting the money to go on vacation or put my kid in childcare or what have you. So I think that's a great point that perfectionism is a luxury and survival mode can actually be a more productive place. 
It can be. I mean, it's not a place to live in. Right, right. Not that we desire that. <laughs> Survival mode is not a long-term strategy right, for that's sure. True. That's true. So it's, but in startup, get hungry. Yeah, yeah. Think about it as though your survival depends on this. Right. And just get over it and put a thing out totally. and learn from it. Totally. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. I'm told that you're raising, and and this comes from Megan's opinion, but I'm sure it's correct, that you're raising a fiercely independent 11-year-old daughter. So talk about what you're doing to raise your daughter in a deeply conscientious way. Sure. So there's, I think, two layers to this. There's what we do in our home culture, and then what we do when encountering the external culture, which I think is true for any parent. There's, There's those layers to how you parent your child. And so... In our home culture, I mean, everything for me starts with Montessori. My career started as a Montessori teacher, and we're not going to get into all of that now, but it's a philosophy for education, but it's also a philosophy for life and a philosophy for parenting. And it really centers around respect for the child as an individual unto themselves and your role as a nurturer of this human who exists, not because you're creating this person, but because they are creating themselves. And so really using Montessori practices and approaches from the time she was born and then really bringing her into how we live our lives. So gardening and 
cooking food are key parts of our family culture, growing our own food and really interacting with food and bringing people into our home and preparing food. And so much of what we do centers around nutritious, loving food and helping her build that relationship with the natural world and with food is key to us. And a big part of it for us, too, is not overscheduling. She is not the kid who plays five sports and has a tutor and whatever else parents are doing when they're driving all over the place. I don't know. But that is not aligned <laughs> with our values. I love that. That's so interesting. And how have you navigated that? Because I think that we do that automatically because we see everyone else doing that. How do we navigate ourselves out of that? I mean, for me, part of it is just my fierce protection of myself and my time and my mm. energy. And I don't want to get sucked into sports mom drama. Like I just, I can't. Yeah. I just have so few cares about whatever sports mom Karen is mad about. And so I know that, and I know like there are the sports moms who are going to love being there and doing that. And they're not going to like me cause I will not love it. And so <laughs> And that's okay. Like, but I just knew to not insert myself into that. Um, and my daughter does horseback riding and her grandparents take her because it's a thing they do together. Oh, cool. And so she gets that time. And I think it's important to have something. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be all the things. And we also don't have, you know, we're privileged enough to not have to be afraid. Like, what if she doesn't get into a good college? Like, I really like, I don't care if she goes to community college, that's fine. Or, you know, goes to trade school and learns welding, that's also okay. Or maybe Harvard, that's fine too, if she finds a way to pay for it. But we don't have that academic concern either, where there are goals we have for her beyond her just sort of living out her life in the way she wants to. It's a really, it's a hearts in, hands off approach Yeah, yeah. to learning um, and to parenting that w works for us. And she's going into middle school next year and there will be middle school sports and I will go watch her games and cheer for her and, you know, whatever she wants to do, she's probably going to do theater and I'm there for it. So it's kind of jointly it guided by her and guided by you. Yes. It sounds like. So you're not saying like, no, you can't play any sports, but it's like you found the things that are most meaningful to her and you let her explore those things rather than signing up for everything. Right. Exactly. Or pushing her to do a thing because yeah. it's my yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. In that, like when you see her having those choices and those options, what do you see her kind of naturally leaning toward versus what you see maybe other kids in the community doing? Well, she's an interesting kid because, you know, she is an only child. Part of that circling back to the whole postpartum depression thing, I really wasn't sure I could go through another pregnancy and infancy and all of that. And so even though I thought I'd have many kids, I ended up being the parent of an only child. And she's actually a great only child. She really, when she goes out and does people-y things, she then wants to go into her room and close the door and read a book for a couple hours and just be alone. And she's been that way since she was small. So I'm interested to see as she moves into this new era of, you know, activities being present at school. Because in yeah. elementary school, you have to go out and seek them. Right. But extracurriculars are just sort of baked into the culture of middle school and high school. And so I'm curious to see where she goes and how she lands. You know, I've let her know that we're not attached to any of it, really, but that will show up for all of it. And so 
I'm unsure where she'll land. I think she'll dip her toe into many things. And I think that she will probably let go of some things she realizes are not her flavor. Yeah. Yeah. I have an only child as well. And it's interesting how independent he is. And I think he's going to be like the come home and read a book by himself kid too. And part of me, I'm like, did I just get lucky or is this an only kid thing? Or it's very interesting to watch it play out. But I relate to a lot of what you're saying. I want to talk about how you weave social justice and advocacy into everyday life. And is this something that's like that your family focuses on or is it more in line with your professional realm? Yes, both. So this ties back to the last question with, you know, raising my daughter as well in a conscientious way and the external culture, which that weaves right into advocacy and social justice, which always starts with education, with educating ourselves. The most important thing you can do to be an advocate for justice and equity for all humans is to keep learning and to keep listening, especially, especially the voices of people who represent groups that are not a part of your identity, mm-hmm. you know. So listening to the voices of disability rights activists. Yeah. As a white feminist, listening to the voices of the black feminists who are leading the cause of men listening to women, all of those things, you know, we need to listen to the people who are speaking from a perspective that we can't know ourselves and humbly learn and learn again and learn some more. And I try and teach that to my daughter as well, you know, and make sure that she's exposed to, you know, we're very careful about the literature that we buy for her and bring into the house and ensuring that she isn't just getting a white girl perspective in all the books she reads. And she needs to see books that represent her and her identity. And, you know, she loves books about girls with horses. And basically all of those books are about white girls with horses. And, you know, and there's this thing that lights up in her with that. And, We make sure that, and she loves, she's drawn to books with stories of people from different experiences and perspectives and times in history and things like that. But it's also about paying attention to media. So there's an education justice leader. Her name is Kelly Wickham Hurst, and she's part of the hashtag EduColor movement. And she sent a tweet once that was so random that she may not even remember it, but it stuck with me and I've been doing it where she says when she's consuming media, she says out loud what the messaging is behind the story that's being told in the TV commercial or movie. So she'll call out what's actually happening and she'll say, you know, women are sexy and wear bikinis. White men wear turtlenecks. Some girls sit down while men, yeah, it's like black people drive these kind of cars. And she speaks out loud, what is the actual factual message behind this image? And whoa, you know, it's like pretty eye opening. Yeah, it's really eye opening. And so doing that and doing it with my daughter and saying, hey, do you hear how in this song when he talks about how she doesn't know she's beautiful, what he's doing is reinforcing a patriarchal standard of beauty while also reinforcing the unfair patriarchal standard that you don't try to be beautiful and that that's shameful. And so the perfect balance is to be beautiful without trying. And, you know, can you imagine what does that message mean to you? And I'll ask her questions. And sometimes she's like, oh, mom. (laughs) (laughs) 
but it's still sitting in there, you know, and it, it's res and I'm asking myself these questions. What does that mean? Why are they delivering that message that way? So it starts with learning. It moves into questioning and then action. So one of the small things that I do is I keep a post-it note on my desk that has the phone numbers of both of my U.S. senators, nice, my U.S. Congress representative, my state Senate representative, and my state House of Representatives, and then my city council rep. I have his phone number, and I can text him when I have a gripe because he's my neighbor. Nice. And I call. At least once a week, I call about a thing. You know, that's a really valuable experience for people who haven't done that. And I've done it a number of times now. And the first time I did it, I was like terrified. And then I learned I was just leaving a voicemail. And I was like, oh, that's not that scary. But that is a really valuable practice, especially if you're someone who has a hard time standing up for things vocally, like if that feels really uncomfortable to you. This is a really, really valuable practice in just finding your voice to get those phone numbers and call them regularly. And most of the time, you're going to get a voicemail. And if you get a person on the phone, it's like a very quick like, yes, what's your message? Okay, we got it. Thank you. Bye. Like it's not a hard convert. You're not having like a debate and a long conversation, but it can be very uncomfortable to be saying these, to state your perspective out loud. And especially if it's not the perspective of your state leaders or your county leaders or what have you. And I think it's a really powerful way for us to challenge ourselves and challenge our voices. And I love that you brought that up and point that out. Yeah. So the people listening, you can go to a website called votesmart.org. And it's a wonderful nonpartisan website where you can put in your zip code, your address, and it will give you every single elected and appointed official who represents you from the president of the United States down to your school board. Nice. It'll give you their voting history, their staffers information. It's a wonderful website and it's a great way to get contact information so that you can easily call them up and leave them messages. And then the other thing, you know, so there's calling. And then the other thing is getting up out of your chair and doing the work, which means voting. It means marching. And it means having difficult conversations with people in your sphere who you might be able to influence and for me, you know, always trying to use the perspective of compassion and love for one's fellow humans right. and the desire to see one's fellow humans thrive in this world. And, you know, using that influence you have as a person who has relationships with other peoples to change hearts and minds and advocate for the things that matter to you and matter to humanity. Right. I love that. I just did a Facebook Live yesterday in our private Facebook group which by the time this interview airs, it will be a little, a few weeks ago. But I talked about listening to other people's perspectives and stories and making sure that you're not, you know, I think it's easy for us to put ourselves in an echo chamber, especially on social media in this echo chamber where everyone has the same opinions as us and maybe votes the same as us and has the same experiences and looks the same and all these kinds of things. And for a long time, I thought like I should make sure that I'm hearing the other side, the other extreme of, you know, so for, you know, like, should I be following like white supremacist groups just so that I know what they stand for and that I know their opinions? That is not something I can manage. Like that's way too emotional for me and I can't do that. So I was like, okay, I have to then, if I want to hear other people's perspectives, it's not that I want to hear the perspectives of the people who are doing damaging work, but I want to hear the perspectives and the stories of other people who either don't have a voice as loud as my white female voice right now, or that have valuable stories that are not being highlighted in some way and that I can learn from and that I could like maybe help 
give voice to some of these stories and circumstances and situations. And so I think everything that you talked about in terms of, you know, race and ableism and those and different women's groups, I think is really, really powerful. And those are experiences that I can't speak to. I can't speak to being disabled. I can't speak to being a woman of color, but I want to learn from them and I want to know what their experiences are. And I've talked about this with body positivity as well, that like I've been in the fitness industry for 16 years. I don't follow fitness people. I actually follow body positivity people because that's who I want to be learning from because that's the perspective that I think is really important right now. I don't need to follow people with six pack abs and learn about what they're eating for dinner. So I think you bring up a great point. I would encourage people to audit your everything. Audit who you follow on social media. Audit the books on your shelf at home. Audit your Netflix queue. Audit your iTunes and ask yourself whose perspectives are centered, whose ideas are centered, who's influencing your daily experience of the culture in which you live. And is there room to grow? Yeah, those are really great questions. I mean, that's a basic, basic start. And then if you're ready to do something more, seek out actual learning. Pay people to teach you what they know to help you become better at showing up in diverse human spaces. So, for example, I'm going to be signing up for Desiree Attaway. I consider her an online mentor. I've taken some programs with her before, but she and a couple other women do an online program called Diversity as an Asset. That's really about helping people who want to do better being an inclusive person in professional spaces. It's an online class that's every Wednesday for the month of September. So I'll send you a link to it so you can put it in the show notes. But I'm going to sign up for Diversity as an Asset and I'm going to pay these women who know better than anyone to teach me what I should know and what I can do to really dismantle oppression and center people whose voices are important. And I'm very much looking forward to it. So look for for that or for other opportunities like that to make this advocacy a part of how you live. Yes, definitely. I know we're getting tight on time. Do you you have time for one more question? Okay. So at the beginning of this interview, I'm going to record your inclusivity statement because I think it's amazing. And I want you to just let us know a little bit about you are really careful about who you work with and who you don't work with. And can you talk about those distinctions for you and why those boundaries are so important? Sure. So I primarily work with people in education and nonprofits, which means that it's really social service work that you've signed up for. Yes. And so if you aren't here to make the world a more just and equitable place, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for everything. I don't have time for everyone. And I definitely don't have time to work with people who aren't doing the work of education and nonprofits because they don't want to make the world a more just and equitable place. I do not have time for it. I think that's a very important boundary. When time is really limited, you pick and choose. And that's a big responsibility, but also you have to own up to it. Yeah. And I need to do work that feels like it matters. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. That was a huge reason I had to recently shift into my entire profession because I was was like, I can't just be in fitness. Like my work, I need to do something that matters more. Okay. Last question. In what way are you a shameless mom? So in a few ways, I would say one of the big ways is that I'm unabashedly feminist. Yes. 
you know, and just seek opportunities to cultivate the inner feminist in my daughter and in my husband and in myself and always be questioning what I've been taught and what I've been normed to believe and what I'm norming my daughter to believe subconsciously and trying to pivot those messages to be as healthy as possible. I think that the other thing is that I'm going confidently toward my dreams without worrying that I'm not doing enough as a mom or not showing up enough for my daughter. I'm just not making permission for that guilt to seep in because it's not true. It's just yeah. not true. Yeah. You know, how many people with moms who were there with them at dinner every night or, you know, had regular loving encounters with their mothers look back and say, God, my mom really, bleh, you know, but, but, it's not going to happen. She's going to be fine. I know she's yes. going to be fine. And <laughs> part of why she's going to be fine is because I'm showing up for myself. Yes. Yes. That's so great. Okay. RB, tell us where we can find you. Sure. So for those of you shameless moms out there who are involved in ed nonprofits or volunteer on nonprofit boards, you will find my nonprofit board health checkup on my website. You can go to beelineconsulting.net backslash nonprofits. And there's the rest of my website there as well. If you start there, you can find all of it. And then you can find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram at VegucationMama, V-E-G-U-C-A-T-I-O-N-M-A-M-A, VegucationMama. Love it. Okay. And I will have all that linked up in the show notes as well over at shamelessmom.com. RB, thank you so much for being here today. I have to say starting this interview with a woman who had a newborn baby, was a full-time student, was bartending until 3.30 in the morning to getting into like advocacy and being so careful and considerate of how you serve the world and how you show up in the world is just an amazing journey and so powerful. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time to share it today with our shameless moms. Thank you so much. I've had such a wonderful time talking with you today, Sarah. Thank you so much for spending time with me today in the Shameless Mom Academy. I really, really appreciate you being here. If this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you get all episodes as soon as they're released and you never miss an episode. You can do that by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash review. That will drop you into Apple Podcasts where you can click on the little subscribe button. While you're there, please also rate and review the show. Let me know what you loved. Let me know in what ways you are a shameless mom. And remember, Shameless Mom of the Week nominations come from our reviews. So if you want to be nominated, you got to leave a review. So make sure you leave a review over at shamelessmom.com forward slash review. And lastly, share this episode with other shameless moms in your lives. The way the show grows and the way we build our community is by you all spreading the word. So take a screenshot of this episode, share it on social media, tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Instagram or Facebook. I will make sure I reply as quickly as I possibly can, sending you lots of loves and shout outs. And I can't wait to connect with you there. Until next time, have a great day. And remember, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought provoking experts and friends at Mindful Mama. We know that you cannot give what you do not have. 
and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.